Hey everybody, you are listening to March Mad Men, the podcast that aims to crown the greatest horror film of all time. This season we're tackling haunted house movies. This is part two of a recording where we tackled ten movies in one night. Check out part one for Oculus going up against the Changeling. In this one, we've got the Innkeepers versus the Legend of Hell House and the Devil's Backbone squaring off against Stir of Echoes. Enjoy. We are on to the next bracket, and this, this could be interesting because our number seven seed in the tournament is Ty West's The Innkeepers. This is a 2011 American independent horror film, a subgenre sub-sub-genre that I appreciate. Mumble gore, I think uh, Vic called it, which is an apt term. This film stars Sarah Paxton, Pat Healy, and Kelly McGillis. It's about two employees at the Yankee Pedlar Inn. I love that name for some reason. I can't quite tell if this is on the West Coast. I kind of feel like it's a Portland sort of a hotel. Uh, That information could probably be obtained. But in any event, the hotel is uh, closing and this is the last chance for these two employees to document the supernatural activity going on in the building. So I was really impressed by this film when it came out. And uh, I have to say, it didn't, didn't quite impress me as much this time. But I think it's Vic's turn to lead us off, I believe. Vic, uh, do you feel comfortable with starting uh, your scorecard now? You bet. Not only am I comfortable, John, I'm going to take off some of my clothes so that I am more comfortable talking about this movie. Oh, I'm uh, just glad to hear you had clothes on up to this point. That's great. Just, That's a change. Just a few. Just a few. <laughs> just oh, a no. banana hammock? Just a few. <laughs> not, not anymore, John. Not anymore. I like this movie a lot. It is a cut below the House of the Devil, which really made it look like Ty West was going to be one of the most exciting horror directors in a long time. And this, again, not as good as that, but you still thought, all right, this guy's doing something really interesting. And I really like some of the the casting choices he's made and working within the budget. And again, the, the whole mumble, mumble gore idea, which is essentially that there was a series of low-budget films, aimless 20-somethings talking for 90 minutes, The Puffy Chair and, and uh, a few other a few other movies like that. And somebody sort of thought, well, what if we what if we ran a horror movie through that lens? How would that play? By the way, I the really, Duplass brothers were both yeah. the, the part of the main originators of uh, Mumblecore and of Mumblegore in the sense that the uh, Creep movies that uh, Mark Duplass did are really, really good. But that we'll cover those in another subgenre. Correct. I like this. I give it an overall quality of A-. Originality, I give it a B. I mean, this is a standard haunting movie. It doesn't put a lot of fresh spin on it, aside from the fact that it's really character-focused, really dialogue-focused. Those are the elements they're bringing to it. But it's not going to rock your world. Chill Factor, I give it a B plus. I think a lot of the scares in this work, they take a long time to get there. But Ty West's directing strategy is a lot of these long, languorous takes. And he's doing the beginning when people are just sort of talking. And then once you get up to the parts where you're, you're starting to expect ghosts and scares and some of those sorts of things, uh, I found a lot of it really effective. Antagonist, 
I gave it a B. I, her origin story is not terribly interesting. Original, when she's actually on screen, she's she's quite creepy. Quality of kills, I give it a B. There's not a lot of kills in this, but the, the, the ones that I saw were actually pretty effective. Directing, I give it an A. I think it's gangbusters. Script, I give it an A. Uh, acting, I give it an A-. minus. I really like both Sarah Paxton and Pat Healy. Uh, the Pat Healy a little less, but I remember being struck the first time watching this by Pat Healy's character has a a turn about halfway through the movie where he becomes sort of a dick and he starts being more of a skeptic. Whereas in the first half of the movie, he's been sort of trying to draw uh, Sarah Paxton's character into this world of like, let's try and capture a ghost and we're going to use the mic and we're going to record this and everything else. Watching it this time, I really felt like I understood the arcs of the characters and especially Sarah, pa- especially Sarah Paxton's. And I think this is part of the appeal of the movie to me is that like the Mumblecore movies, this is about an aimless 20 something who is confronted with her aimlessness by Kelly McGillis's character early on in the film. And so when she starts to encounter this supernatural phenomenon, she suddenly starts to feel this sense of purpose that she's actually, that the idea of actually capturing proof of the supernatural is something important. And it's something important that she can be a part of. And she starts to feel this sense of, of meaning that in a more traditional mumblecore movie, you know, might be falling in love or having a kid or, you know, starting a business or something like that. And so I really liked that arc and I thought it worked. And what you see then is that Pat Healy's character is having the opposite, where he's mostly been trying to mack on this chick by getting her into ghosts. He doesn't really believe it. He's been lying to her about having seen ghosts in the past. And when he's actually confronted with the supernatural, he chickens out and he fucking bolts. And so that that crisscrossing of character arcs, I don't know, it just it it really worked for me. I like this movie. I'm giving it an A for uh, in my other category, an A for cameos, because Lena Dunham shows up as a barista. And one of the things that I do truly love about Ty West, uh, the casting of Kelly McGillis, she actually has a, a, a fairly big part in this, bigger than Dee Wallace's part in House of the Devil. But I love that he found these older, incredibly talented actresses and gives them interesting parts to come out and play. I'm sure they didn't make much money on it, but like what a joy to see Kelly McGillis in a movie being interesting and, and having an interesting part to play. A for cameos. Tarantino-esque his ability to, to bring, you know, underappreciated actors of the past back and put them in juicy roles. Vic, you did a great job there. I'm going to keep it quick before I throw it to Rich, you know, largely because I have a feeling this movie might advance and we're going to crawl up its ass and we got to keep things moving. So for now, we, we don't have to give it the full loving autopsy. But uh, I do give it a overall quality. Again, I'm a I'm a harsher grader. I'm giving it a B uh, overall quality. Originality C plus doesn't really break the mold in any way. Conceptually, chill factor B. Uh, largely, again, you know, due to a couple of key scenes, but they definitely fucking work. Antagonist uh, a B. Yeah, I can't really say the character distinguishes itself, but it's scary as hell when we see it. Quality of Kills B, Directing B, Script B, Acting B. Everything is just solid. We'll get into more detail later. And my judge's choice here is Bride Foo. If I didn't find the main ghost terrifying in this movie, I don't think it would be more than a footnote to me, honestly. It really wouldn't. 
but there's something about her blank, rotten egg stare, general degree of decomp, and tendency to move only sparingly, but in terrifying bursts. It just creeps me the fuck out. I really love it. I think because the ending is very dark and the ghost is so scary, the first time I saw this movie, I felt completely satisfied by it. But the second time, just you know, recently in prep for our show tonight, I didn't feel like the movie gave me enough beyond that. I'm not sure that it lends itself that well to multiple viewings. I'm not sure there's a lot to chew on and digest here. While I will enjoy revisiting this movie and talking about it in more depth with you guys, I was hoping that it might promise me more secrets than I felt I got glimpses of in the second viewing. So that's kind of where I stand. Rich, what's your take on The Innkeepers? Vic, I really appreciate your take on it. I think you illuminated some of the things that do make this movie indelible. And I agree that it has good scares, but this movie just doesn't really do it for me. This was a B minus uh, overall quality for for me. Ouch. Um, I do find it. I mean, like I, I give it a C plus for originality. Again, like I, I get that. Like I, I get that mumble mumble gore mumble core, however you want to follow this away, is a unique genre, and it's been very well done, as we've mentioned. Um, obviously, like House of the Devil is sort of like the high watermark. And I also made a note that really when I think of this genre, I think of Creep, which is a movie that I, I genuinely love. And they both have a similar sense of pacing. They have kind of like a goofy, shaggy charm and a sense of aimlessness. But for me, those movies click in a way that this movie just doesn't. And I look forward to going back and revisiting them and see if I can unlock what that is. But for now, I can just say that like this kind of felt like tinkering. This felt like people who had access to a location, who were good at improvising, and obviously had an eye for some scary imagery. It's it's not all losses. It just like wasn't really impactful. I don't really want to sit down and watch it again. Too bad, Rich. <laughs> yeah, you're watching it again, motherfucker. <laughs> so that said, like in terms of things I do like, I actually gave Chill Factor an A because, like, like you guys said, I thought the the, the bride was creepy as hell. I actually thought the, the you know there's there's a oh, yeah there's a second uh, baddie that shows up later on in the movie who's part of like an unfolding story and the way that 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 entity is revealed is a is a pretty like harrowing shot. He's definitely good with scares. It's just so weird that the movie spends so little time devoted to them. Um, I made this note at one point, and I, I do ta- I do walk this note back because I don't think it's true. But like at the three-quarter mark, I wrote, this thing is one or two ghosts away from being as scary as a ghost story. Uh, <laughs> because it is just a lot of people sitting around in rooms doing nothing. Antagonists were B. They were good. Quality of kills, I, I put C. There's only one true kill in the movie, and it, and it happens off camera. Um, I guess they all happen off camera, actually. But there is definitely some some blood and like aftermath that you see. Directing, I gave a B. I still think that Ty West is a is a good director. This one just doesn't like grab me the the same the same way. I mean, it's funny. Like I, I'd love to see this guy do a, a straight comedy, and maybe he has. I love the moment where like there's a there's a bit late in the movie where they're just bored and so they decide to reenact the haunting that the uh, that Sarah Paxton had earlier in the movie which legitimately scared her but in their reenactment she just throws a sheet on herself 
and starts like waving her arms around the room, pretending to be the ghost. She um, There you go. You, you missed it. Missed opportunity. <laughs> the funny stuff works despite the the aimlessness. Um, but like the stuff like Lena Dunham in the coffee shop, like the, honestly, like that scene enrages me. <laughs> Rich, I know that you were taking. 50,000 points off the score of this movie for Lena Dunham. Please explain. You're goddamn right I am. There's absolutely no basis for this scene whatsoever. I mean, not that you have to be, you know, writing to uh, to Robert McKee's, like, you know, story, but, I'm just, but you can't just, like, put plant a character whose only purpose is literally to serve coffee and talk to someone. And she gets a decent amount of screen time. She doesn't move anything forward for Sarah Paxton. She doesn't move anything forward for herself. She doesn't show up again. She's just there so that you say, hey, is that Lena Dunham? (laughs) I can't wait to to delve into that scene in more detail with you later. All right, so to to wrap up, (laughs) to wrap up. John, I'm just saying, there's still a chance we can turn around. We don't have to watch this movie again. (laughs) Wow. Well, wait, Rich, I want to say, is the tension building? Could we get our first split vote of this season? Who knows? I don't know. You're sounding like you might be throwing a vote the other way, which uh, it will be dramatic. The script is a C plus. There was no script. Spoiler alert. This was like they came up with some scary ghosts. They had an outline and they went and improvised. I will say that uh, Pat Healy seems like the ultimate mumblecore actor, so natural that he seems fake. Um, and, um, I did like the, the one detail I liked is I liked that the, there's a Sarah Paxton at some point is scared by something and ends up locking a door where she thinks that baddies might be hiding. And later on, that, that pays off in a, in a fairly ultimate way. And I, I like that the way that, that played out. My other is Trash Foo. I thought that the beautiful one-take shot where <laughs> Acton takes a giant trash bag into the alleyway and spends what has got to be a good 90 seconds just trying to get into a trash can, only to get to do one perfect throw that then spills uh, trash juice all over the alleyway. It was it was beautiful. I don't know how many takes they did. I'd like to think just one. Uh, that scene was gorgeous. So I that uh, we we have to touch on this. Like that stood out to me. All she had to do was put the bag on the closed. Like those dumpsters have they have two lids. Uh, the fucking bunny is going to town behind me. Hold on. Thought he'd already gotten his water for one night, but... All right, he's done with the water. So every dumpster has, like, two lids, right? And all she has to do is put the bag on the closed lid and then open the one on the right of it and then push the trash bag off of the closed lid into the open one. That's all she had to do instead of doing all this trash foo but it is an entertaining sequence and i do love like the the dripping of this bag it's a very nasty trash bag so glad you mentioned that rich it was the saving grace (laughs) i didn't know you hated this movie so much wow this is news to me that was interesting well let's let's take a look at the uh the underdog in this matchup the 26 seed the legend of hell house Based on a Richard Matheson story, this film is a British production. It has somewhat of a reputation, I would say. 1973 film starring the great Roddy McDowell, directed by John 
Huff. Not that familiar with him, um, but uh, looks like he had a excellent career doing Hammer films and whatnot. This one is your basic bunch of paranormal investigators do come to an infamous mansion and uh, try to get to the bottom of the supernatural phenomenon and prove what's happening and hopefully unravel the mysteries of the dead. Pretty uh, time-honored premise. All right, Vic, I know this was one of your nominees. Legend of Hell House, man. Uh, Tell us how awesome this movie is and why it's better than The Innkeepers. (laughs) Well... I'll, I'll tell you what, John, this movie, I, I was I was nervous watching this because I hadn't seen it in a long, long time. And I knew that this was one of my nominees. And I was like, oh, God, what if like I just I was so afraid it was going to suck. This movie is pretty good. Like I came away from it liking it a lot more than I thought I would. And I just I'm going to mention this now as as sort of a uh, a cloud of miasma to hang over whatever whatever other comments I have. What really strikes me about this movie is the sexuality of it, because I think there's a lot of sexuality sort of lingering. Like it's like there are little spots in a, a lot of the movies, especially like the the sort of bigger Hollywood movies when we talk about uh, Paranormal Activity three coming up and some of that kind of thing. In this movie, it's really sort of a pervasive idea that there is this this hedonism, this debauchery that seems to have seeped into the walls of this house and it keeps infecting uh, the people, especially the female characters within it, especially given that the timing that this came out was in 73. If you think of this movie as a reaction to the free love, the hedonistic hippie 60s, that what happened in this house was really that idea taken way way, way too far. Uh, They don't dramatize any of this, but they do mention the word necrophilia, for instance. And I just found that as a really interesting undercurrent running through this, that this felt like almost a critique of that part of society, the things that were going on in the country at that time. So I gave it overall quality. I give it a B. I actually liked some of the effects work. I thought the house was pretty well designed. And uh, I actually thought a lot of the, the, the scares work. I, originality, it's a B. Again, talking about that notion of the, the ghost hunters as they relate to the haunted house film. This is a movie all about the ghost hunters. In that respect, it's a, it's a little bit different. Again, it's like if it's most haunted house movies you get are poltergeist. Then you get a conjuring where the ghost hunters sort of get... of the story. Here you get all ghost hunters all the time. Fine. It's a B. Chill factor, I give it a B. Again, especially for the time period, I thought this was was scarier than I was expecting it to be coming back to it. Antagonist, I've waffled on this. I went B, B plus, B, B plus. I finally settled on a B. I actually really like the the antagonist character, Belasco. And the the things that the antagonist does as far as sort of deceiving the characters within it. Quality of kills, I give it a B plus. I actually really liked a, a couple of the, the deaths in this. There's a person who's crushed to death under a, a, a large cross, which is which is pretty pretty interesting. Directing, I mean, directing, it's a B. Script, it's a B. Acting, it's a B. I, I actually really did like Roddy McDowell's performance. It's a little, a little showy. I had the 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 pleasure. I can't remember if I told this story or not. I had the pleasure of seeing him when I was like twelve, uh, 
in a stage performance of Dial M for Murder, where, and you're talking about uh, Norfolk, Virginia, you know, so it was a traveling performance. And it was maybe the first time I'd seen like an actor that I kind of knew in a movie like this, which is really weird. I think I knew him from the movie Mirror, Mirror. I haven't Googled that, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Is that the second Mirror, Mirror reference of the night? Exactly. It's all coming together. I look back on it. He was really hammy and kind of over the top, but it also it also really worked. And you came away from it being like, oh, like that's the guy that was the professional actor in this. I thought he was terrific, but otherwise the actors are fine. I give it an A in my other for ghost sex because <laughs> ghost sex. <laughs> I don't think Roddy McDowell was in mirror mirror. Um, I'm going to look this I'm going to look this up. You guys talk. I'll, I'll, I'll check on that. I'm looking it up. Karen Black is in it. If, if you know that you get points for that. But, all right, Rich, what is your analysis of The Legend of Hell House? This is a B movie. Uh, so I, I give it an overall quality of a B plus, and I don't mean that as an, as an insult to this. This movie is exactly what I want out of a Halloween movie. This is the kind of movie I could put on every October and watch again. Sure, it's a little slow-paced, Sure, it has a little bit of cheesy 70s effects and overacting, but it embodies the spirit of what I think of when I really think back to like what a horror movie is for me. It has style. Um, it has a, it has its interesting, like its own unique pace. That pace is a little bit plodding, but I feel like it's punctuated with some pretty good moments where they're at least attempting to be scary in some cases, successful. The movie actually, especially towards the beginning, reminds me a little bit of like William Friedkin style. It has like a kind of kinetic energy. The camera is always moving and searching for something. Um, there's a fair amount of tension. I like the way that the movie starts and it kind of just feels like you're caught in the flow of a story that's already unfolding as opposed to having a long, like prolonged lead up in the first act like you get in like, I don't know, The Changeling. I love the music of it. Uh, I thought it was like kind of evocative and menacing and mysterious. You could never quite tell what instruments were making the sounds. Um, the music isn't the, something that stands out in a lot of these movies. And I feel like this did have its own unique craft, even if it was kind of a shoddy craft. Um, kind of a rough and tumble movie. Um, and I, and I like that originality is a B plus. I agree. It's all ghost hunters. I mean, for Christ's sakes, it starts with a disclaimer at the top that immediately reminded me of the white horse explanation at the beginning of Rob Zombie's Halloween two. Um, I know that many filmmakers have done that before him, but that's just where it went. Um, and it knows what it is. It's people going to tackle the Mount Everest of haunted houses, um, and I buy it. It's very indelible in terms of a haunted house. You're right. The the whole sexual devi deviancy. I mean, the fact that like people, the, the ghost hunters are picking up books on autoerotic phenomenon. I mean, it makes it pretty unique in terms of the, you know, the entities that we're dealing with in this in this subgenre. And man, that ghost sex scene is really something like I did not see that coming. I feel like I will be hard pressed to think of other scenes tonight where I was more surprised than when the heroine disrobes and decides that she's going to let the ghost have sex with her because it's going to release him from the anger that's keeping him trapped within this home. It's a unique perspective, but she's a professional. Uh, you got to respect that. 
So I'm giving it a B plus to originality, a, ch- a chill factor. I'm giving it B plus. I agree that there's kind of like a cheese factor to this that you, that you can't get away from. But honestly, like I love the cat attack. There's a there's a great scene where I guess what you'd consider the female lead of this movie, who's constantly just being harassed in some way, shape, or form by this uh, by this creature when she's not having sex with him, is is attacked by a black cat. And uh, and I was like I was laughing at it, and at the same time, like I also you know felt a little creeped out by it you had that sensation of like that you would not want to be attacked by a cat in that manner. So it's like laughing scares are sometimes my favorite scares. And like this one really fit the bill. I thought the antagonist was good. I actually liked the voice effect. I know that the voice, you know, the, the voice of a ghost coming through the, the mouth of someone else, usually children is a trope that we do see over and over and over again in these movies, but something just about the, the weird, pitch shifting effect that they put whenever the ghost spoke through the medium uh, in this movie worked for me. And he also like the, the ghost was sort of playful. Like it, it took a while for the ghost to get really murderous. You know, I think Ronnie McDowell like has a, has a line at some point where it's like, you know, it's like he doesn't like the ghost, like it, it doesn't want to kill anyone, but they just won't leave. Like you do get the feeling that the Velasco is just annoyed with these people and just trying to terrorize them for a while. And then finally just gets fed up with it. And starts offing people. Quality of kills. Uh, there's a lot of chandelier deaths in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly higher than average. Directing's a B. Nothing really like springs to mind. Um, but I do th- feel like the set and the cin- cinematography were pretty great in it. Um, I thought Pamela Franklin as the ghost sex loving medium um, was actually carrying a pretty tough role. Um, in terms of like kind of cycling through the emotions and, and and how she was invested in trying to get to the bottom of things. Plus, she had like this antagonistic relationship with the um, with the scientist of the crew. Uh, I thought she was great. Script was like a, I put a minus for the script. I'm not sure why. There's nothing like particularly special about it. I do want to point out this is a Christmas movie. Um, is that ever explained why? Because that went right over my head, if so. No, no. there's no, and I noticed the same thing, that you should have get to Christmas Eve, and nobody even acknowledges it. It's very, it's very strange. Yeah, it's, wasn't it like a, um, it's an on-screen text saying X number of days to Christmas, right? Isn't yeah, that which, a, which actually, I, I, no, no, it's, it's not X number it, of days. It just runs the date. Okay, yeah, just, okay. It's just date and time, and they reset the date and time almost every single scene. And sometimes the increments that time has changed <laughs> are so small. Like, it's like it's like fifteen minutes, yeah. and people are like passed out who are awake at a previous scene. Like, but I actually sort of found it to be a, an effective technique. Like something about the, you know, it was, it was very clean and sort of stark the way that they presented this information through the story. It reminded me of like a found footage movie long before those existed, and I liked it. Anyways, my, my other is uh, is naked, drunk, clutching, sweating, biting food. <laughs> uh, a particularly memorable line from someone, I can't even remember what the woman was explaining, but she delivered it with a lot of gusto, uh, and it's, it's stuck in my mind. I, I think it's pretty obvious what she was uh, what, what she was discussing there, Rich. You're absolutely right. It's a great line, and I remember, I remember that, and I, I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to mention it too, just that that's – Again, it's it's the perfect distillation of the hedonism that I was talking about. This like, I don't know. It's 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 really hard to articulate, but it's a it's a really sort of pervasive just vibe across this movie. I also want to point out for anyone doubting 
that we three have plumbed the depths of the horror genre looking for the best possible movies that could be included in this, that Roddy McDowell was not in Mirror Mirror. He was in Mirror Mirror 2, <laughs> Raven Dance. <laughs> wow. I, I can't believe that you've seen that, but okay, props to you, buddy. <laughs> That's great. Seen it, and then, went, and then went to see him in a play and was like, oh my God, it's the guy from Mirror Mirror 2. <laughs> That would have been amazing as a child if you'd walked up to this great actor and said, first Mirror Mirror 2 and now this, you're really going to be a big star. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you guys. I think we're honestly very much in alignment on, on the charms of this film. But this is our first choice that might be unexpectedly difficult on some level. But here are my scores. Original quality, overall quality, rather, uh, C+. Plus because, yeah, I think, you know, some of the things that Rich alluded to, with being a little cheesy, a little chintzy, a little thrown together, some 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 flaws. Do you call a good movie a C+, plus or does it have to be a B? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's on the borderline. Originality for me is definitely a C. I don't, I don't think this, in terms of the genre or the subgenre, um, I don't think it brings anything to the table. You know, if you want to argue that the sexuality stuff, which I'm about to talk about, which I think is great, is a conceptual element, then maybe I should bump this up. But I'm just talking about in terms of what the ghost does and the scares and sort of the trappings of the phenomena. I, I can't give it more than an average grade. Uh, chill Factor for me is C+. I, I don't find this movie particularly scary, but, you know, it's not unscary, so C+. Antagonist C, uh, I really am somewhat judging on, like, what we find out about Belasco and just kind of, you know, who he is and, and whatnot. And that was a very bizarre, like, a, obviously we won't get into it, but, like, right. the, the reason for the haunting is, is it's, it's pretty weird. Yeah, and to me, it's a weak point of of the film. So I, I'm I'm dinging antagonist for that, even though I do think he has his moments. Quality of kills, I give it a B. I mean, hey, there are kills, yay, that's great. They're not particularly visceral or effective. Uh, directing is a B for me. I think it's it's you know certainly very competent and professional. Script is a C plus. Par- again, partially due to sort of the way the story resolves. I have some issues with that. Acting for me is a B minus. It's just, it's a little overacty. It's a little melodramatic, even Roddy McDowell. Um, I like certain aspects of a lot of the performances. I I like the actors, but I mean, I just feel that it's um, a little melodramatic. Uh, Clive Revel actually as Dr. Barrett is kind of my favorite character in the movie um, because I sort of, I really believe him and what he's doing and trying to be the, the, you know, strictly strong, manly, cerebral rudder who's, who's driving the ship. And I love the way he loses control and he loses power and, uh, it, it get, it all gets away from him. So he, he kind of stands out to me, but, uh, in the whole miasma of goodness that this movie offers, I, I like the word miasma. It's poltergeist foo that stands out to me. Uh, there's a general, oh shit, how bad is this going to get quality to the scenes where suddenly the entire room turns against everyone and all hell is breaking loose. This happens a couple, three times in the movie and it feels like a psychic earthquake and you don't know until it's over if it's going to be a five on the old Richter scale or a 10. And it usually (laughs) gets 
pretty bad. It gets pretty bad. So to wrap up, like, vis-a-vis innkeepers here, this is the first low seed in the tournament that I actually like. And yeah, I'll say it didn't blow me away. And I personally think it's cursed to be kind of forgettable because it does kind of lack standout scenes for me. And I don't like the ending that much. But I enjoy stepping into the world of Hell House with these characters. I'm definitely a sucker for quasi-scientific psychosexual horror where characters' repressed desires are unleashed. This movie has a grubby, dirty thrill to it. The characters are cooped up in a situation where social mores break down and anything goes. A woman gives herself to a ghost. It's British, so it's pretty tasteful, all things considered, but it's not dull to watch. So I do like this movie. This is my favorite low seed yet, but I have to point out, I'm not going to give away specifics, but the final reveal and how the characters find what they find, how it's supposed to have been here the whole time. If you've seen the movie, you might know what I'm talking about. This kind of allows them to score some sort of a win over evil. It's pretty ridiculous. It reminds me of It, and that's actually my absolutely least favorite way in the world to defeat a supernatural force. It basically boils down to, if you can become a playground bully to the evil, that's your best bet. And I hate that. It's a dumb, juvenile, dramatic device. So that takes the movie down a notch. But uh, I do have affection in my heart for The Legend of Hell House. All right, gentlemen, it's time. This is going to be a dramatic vote, folks. This is going to be dramatic. I'm going to punctuate it with... The suspense is building. I've opened an easy jack. Actually, it's a fly jack. It's basically a... Session IPA, courtesy of Firestone. I am going to cast my vote last to keep it interesting. Rich, why don't you vote first? Is it the Innkeepers or the Legend of Hell House? I was going to say, it sounds like someone got the Firestone Walker assortment pack. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um... Well, I don't think I've made my uh, my feelings uh, very mysterious here. Uh, look, here's what I'll say. You're, I think you're, your assessment's astute. You're talking about a movie that basically saves itself in the last reel going against a movie that kind of shits the bed in the last reel. <laughs> uh, and then has sex on top of that shit. I am voting for The Legend of Hell House. Whoa. All right. Our first upset in the offing. Damn. All right, Vic. Uh, Why don't you cast your vote, sir? I hope that the mic picked up my heavy side there. I was kind of hoping to cast a a vote for The Legend of Hell House because, again, this wound up being way closer than I thought it was going to wind up being. I really like The Legend of Hell House, and even more than I remembered liking it initially – I think there's some some interesting things to unpack here, but I just I don't know. There's there, there's something about the innkeepers and and the characters especially, which I think is is maybe sort of the weak point of the Legend of Hell House. I feel like the the characters really drive the innkeepers, and the, the again the the ending. The, the last reel of it really is spectacular. I'm going innkeepers. Wow, this is really exciting, guys. Yeah. I can't. I can't wait to break down Lena Dunham's character arc. <laughs> Honestly, that's don't don't say that because like dealing with that sequence in detail, I think would be hilarious. Because I really want to see the root of your antipathy for like a brief cameo um, by 
a woman that I don't even think was famous at the time. But all right, so here we go. We each get, you each get 30 seconds to convince me which movie to vote for. Rich, give me the elevator pitch why I need to vote for Legend of Hell House. And I want to say, I am open-minded here. I mean, to me, it's plain and simple. Like, The Legend of Hell House knows exactly what it is, and it stays true to itself. The innkeeper is a bunch of aimless meandering. It's just stabbing in the dark, trying to hope they hit something. And they do. It's a, it's a scary ghost in a dark room. And I like it, but it's not a movie. Nice, nice. All right, Vic, come on, man. You honestly, you, you got to bring it. Like, tell me, tell me why The Innkeeper is the movie we need to study in more detail versus The Legend of Hell House. John, it's the only way you're ever going to find out why Rich hates that scene with Lena Dunham <laughs> so much. God damn it, that is a convincing argument. <laughs> I really love his like intense, passionate hatred for like a meaningless barista sequence. <laughs> it's not even like they flaunt the fact that it's Lena Dunham. She does almost nothing. She doesn't even get like a, a line where she like seems really funny or, you know, it's such an ordinary scene. I just, I don't know. Okay. Why changing locations to shoot it? <laughs> The Innkeepers is, is an auteurist film. I think you see a lot of the things that make Ty West a distinctive director in it. Uh, the Legend of Hell House, very interchangeable with any of the, the Hammer Horror films. I, I, I think you have to vote Innkeepers, John. <sighs> okay. Well, I, I, let's leave this in, whoever edits this part. Because I'm honestly, I am on the fence, man. Because I see the value of digging into the much meatier, sexier ideas of Legend of Hell House, you know, even if it has numerous flaws as a movie, it's it's a really heady broth uh, of of stuff that you can you can lose yourself in. So that's that's on one hand, and then on the other, the much breezier, lighter, but ultimately scarier thing that the innkeepers offers an audience it's it's not without high points that that i value as a as a fan of horror movies on a on a more visceral level that that i i value that and i think that it it delivers the goods for the genre more strongly and i i ultimately i have to say the fact that i've seen the legend of hell house a couple of times and i can barely remember it is the deciding factor i'm gonna have to go with the innkeepers i'm sorry rich but it was close it was really close well enjoy your latte (laughs) (laughs) oh I, i can't wait to have that conversation all right so that was exciting, gentlemen. Uh, let's move on to the next matchup. Uh, maybe this one will be close. Maybe it won't. Who knows? But our number eight seed in the tournament is a hell of a film, The Devil's Backbone. Guillermo del Toro's classic, a masterpiece of magical realism and ghosts. And I will comment that I wasn't sure after many years separating my first viewing in 2001 and the other night, I wasn't sure how it was going to play with me. And 
at the same time that I feel my original interpretation and analysis was pretty much where I am now, I think I have a lot of respect for this movie. So it, it is definitely a strong candidate. This is about a, a kid whose father has died in the Spanish Civil War, and he ends up at a orphanage uh, unexpectedly, you know, in in the midst of this wartime experience, and he's reached out to by a spirit that for some reason is drawn to him, but the greater danger perhaps might be what's going on outside of their walls and in the agenda of one of the staff. It, it definitely takes a lot of turns, and I think that this was the movie, honestly, that reminded me mo- more of What Lies Beneath, guys, uh, versus other films in our tournament, because it, it's sort of dealing with the uh, Tales from the Crypt archetype, where sometimes the supernatural can intervene, and wrongdoers end up getting their just desserts for their moral crimes, because there, there are forces out there that will not, you know, stand by idly all the time. And it's almost like for people who don't love angels and God and all that, like, but, but would love for the universe to have some sense of rough justice, this movie sort of fits into that category. So who would like to kick us off? It's John, it's, it's what a, a, my college professor called the, the supernaturalist providence. Mm. And I think it's something as we get into the middle section of this tournament, I think it's something that comes up more and more. And I'll be interesting to, to discuss with you guys whether or not that works. I also just want to point out, this is embarrassing. I watched The Devil's Bone, which is a, a very different, uh, uh, much much sexier film. <laughs> you were like, after Legend of Hell House, you're like, I need more of this. <laughs> and you're like, ah, yeah, I got to feed this monkey. <laughs> I will kick this one off. This is a movie with a lot of layers. I feel like it's the kind of movie that you guys might be able to, to say something more poetic with than, than I will, but I'm giving it an overall quality of an A. There are some signs that, that this is certainly like the beginning of a great talent in Guillermo del Toro that definitely has a few still has a few rough edges to it. But this is certainly very lyrical horror fantasy that is much more than the sum of its parts, that is managing to tie together a lot of different storylines and characters. And they don't all point to the same purpose exactly at the end, but they're all part of the same story. And it's very professionally crafted together. Um, Originality is an A+. Um, again, the writing is above is above average caliber. There's so many storylines that are that is going on in this movie. Um, between the war and 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 lovers who are separated by age and physical disability and orf- orphans and you know people who are who are affected by war and people who have childhoods that have left them scarred and and damaged like there are so many characters overlapping in this um, that sometimes it's hard to quite pinpoint where this story is going. And I feel like it does surprise you multiple times throughout it. It's immediately apparent, you know, there are all these little details in this movie. And I'm struck by as the, as the kid checks in the orphanage that they talk to about how the block of soap he's given has to last for a year. And the kids all get into their beds and they sink into their beds as though they're good. You know, they're going like a foot into like the loose feathers 
because they're just a bunch of cheap mattresses thrown together. And the way the kid's abandoned by the people who are watching him at the very beginning, and this is all like in the first 10 minutes. Um, I mean, Del Toro simply works like on this emotional depth that other directors in this field or in this genre just aren't. And John, I know you have mixed feelings about Shape of Water, but there's a reason he eventually won Best Picture. He's just a very thoughtful, sympathetic human director. Chill Factor, I did give a B plus to Chill Factor. I I feel like while there are a couple really notable moments, this is really a movie that's almost more about misinterpreting or trying to understand the supernatural and not necessarily being frightened by it. The ghost itself becomes a as you alluded to, is is not a particularly menacing force in it. The bad guy of this movie, who I won't you know get into any deeper than that, is a, is a little bland, has kind of like a no country for old men kind of vibe mm-hmm. um, to him. He's just sort of like, you know, a, a, a dark soul with no moral compass uh, and an ax to grind. Quality of kills, I'm giving an A to. There's not many of them, and they're not fancy but there is one scene that is the very climax of the film where they deal with the antagonist of the movie and i will say that 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 scene while it is very simple and it is a very human interaction the grisly and cold nature of it has stuck with me forever it's the one thing that i really really remember about this film um aside from the bomb when i saw it almost 20 years ago directing again a a, I would say uh, it's top notch, occasionally a little hammy. Again, like his characters have a tendency to be a little um, black and white with their morality, which gives it a fable like quality um, in general. And the script I'm giving a, a, an A minus to incredibly layered, but sometimes the, the dialogue can be a little a little clumsy, especially when they're trying to explain some of the more nuanced um, ideas of, of human nature. Uh, I thought the actors were good. I was convinced that the old man in this movie was the, the most interesting man from the Dos Equis commercials. <laughs> um, I did not fact check that because I just want to believe that it's true. Um, and I'm going to go with the obvious. And my other here is bomb foo. I'm still kind of parsing out exactly what the bomb in this movie really means. But it is interesting that it is literally this beating heart at the center of the story. Uh, it's a fascinating and compelling set piece. Really an impressive film. Yeah, Rich, I think you hit on... A lot of my favorite things about this movie, it's not a particularly scary movie, but it doesn't take you that long to realize this is one of those haunted house movies where people are going to have a bigger problem than the ghosts. And I don't mind that because I think that it's powerful somehow, you know, when the supernatural harshly settles matters that the worst of us create. It's satisfying for those of us that aren't interested in seeing God or angels step in to fix the wagon of wrongdoers. And we don't really believe this either, but it's just somehow a little more palatable when it's divorced from all the complications of organized religion. But yeah, there's something comforting about the kind of the ghosts in this film and how it operates. It's also, it's a very complex movie. There's so much richness to it. And that's one of the things that I am drawn to levels of subtlety going on narratively, thematically within the characters, within the characters relationships. It's meaty. I feel like if we're watching it again, I'm not going to be thinking, ah, it's superficial. There's nothing for us to speculate about. 
there's a lot going on in this movie between a number of the characters and the historical backdrop and the themes and the minor characters' relationships. It's so rich. So I'm giving it an A for overall quality, and I'm giving it an A for originality. I don't feel like I have to justify those grades. Uh, Chill Factor, though, is a C. I just, I don't find it that scary. I think there's some high stakes and there's some like concern for the characters and like, oh shit kind of moments. And the situation is getting very bleak, but I'm kind of defining that category as more having to do with the meat and potatoes of haunted house movies. So that's why it doesn't get a big grade there. C plus for the antagonist. I, I, I don't think he doesn't work at all from a dramatic perspective. I think he works great, but the emphasis being on human darkness, it's not the bullseye of what I'm looking for from this subgenre, but it's effective. And quality of kills is a B, you know, I think it, there are kills and they're, you know, they're affecting. Directing A, script A, acting A. I just, you know, I'm impressed by this movie, the craft of it, absolutely. And for other, the category that I'm going to make up, with all the striking imagery in this movie, for some reason, what popped into my head when I was doing my scorecard was fly-foo, because the circumstances surrounding flies and a corpse in this movie really stick with me. And it's a complex thing. It's not just because it's gross or scary. There's so much layering and pathos and tragedy and and the grotesque all existing at the same time within this film. The, the buzzing flies stick with me. And I think if you've seen the movie or if you're conversing with it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And finally, I'll just say that it's enough of a horror movie by my definition to qualify. It is fucking dark, even with its poetic and romantic and humanist inclinations, which I love. I think that it still delivers the goods for a haunted house movie as we're defining it. So I think it's it's very much a contender and it has my recommendation. So Vic, what was your feeling on The Devil's Backbone? Very much in line with you guys. There's an element of sexuality to this. Like it's Rich used the word fable, which is which I think is is absolutely accurate. And that feeling that has stuck with me about this movie is that it does feel like a fable, but it is a grown up fable. It is a fable for adults, and so there is this sexual element to it that, that gives it kind of an emotional core in addition to orphans and war and and everything else it's a really good really scary movie originality i gave it an a chill factor i give it a b plus i actually find the design of the ghost really effective in this i read somewhere that that guillermo del toro was actually basing this on the uh, the ghosts in Asian cinema, because of course Guillermo del Toro knows about the ghosts in Asian cinema. And this was, so this was 2001. I'm just curious. I'm going to look it up right this second. When did the ring come out? Uh, well, Vic's looking that up. I do just want to point out, I thought that the, the fact that the ghost had uh, blood flowing out of its head and, and up into the air above that would linger after it was gone was a really unique uh, detail that you don't typically see in the in the ghost. While I didn't find the ghost particularly scary myself, it was clear just from the appearance that the ghost had a story that immediately drew you in and, and made you wonder what the origin of it was. 
Yeah, that's a brilliant original, again, A for originality here, um, design choice with the ghost. And, and it does kind of pay off when you start to realize what happened to the ghost and why it's it's an insect trapped in amber. That's what the phantasmas in this movie are um, explained as. And yeah, so it's always going to be suspended in water. And that's what happens when you're underwater. So... Um, and that's, I mean, to see it out, trans, you know, transitioned outside of water is mm-hmm. again really creative from a from a directorial standpoint, a visual standpoint. You know, you've got Guillermo del Toro knows what he's doing. So I just looked it up. Uh, Ringu came out in '98, uh, whereas The Ring came out in 2002, so about a year after this. So I imagine this was about the time that those kind of the the Asian horror cinema, the hair ghosts and, and that sort of thing was starting to become a thing. And I, it's, it's interesting to see that Guillermo del Toro recognized the power of the, that imagery again, not necessarily the hair ghost, but the, the paleness, some of the design of the, of the ghost. I just think it's scary. I think it's scary as shit. Well, I feel like um, you're almost criticizing it. I mean, you're almost taking away from the originality. I, I, I don't look at Del Toro and be like, oh yeah, he's kind of oh, r- ripping off no, no, Asian no, movies. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It was not. This was uh, this was not a a ripping off. This was, okay. and again, this is something I read a, a line somewhere. It's like Guillermo del Toro's design for the ghost was inspired by the ghosts in Asian cinema at the time and. Whatever. So no, like I'm not. This is I'm not taking gotcha. away from the originality. I a like I would just say I find that that those ghost designs in Asian cinema incredibly effective. Those are some of my my favorite horror films, and uh, and what he did with it was not in any way a copy. He he just took I think some of the elements of it that are effective and did his own thing with it, which makes the movie really scary. And especially again when you're involving. The, the, the child is the protagonist and putting him in these situations, even though the, the scares, I think, are limited compared to maybe other films, the scares that are there are very effective. Antagonists see, I agree, and you see this even in, in Pan's Labyrinth and, and Del Toro's other stuff, the bad guys tend to be really bad and not for any particularly good reason. Quality of kills, B, I mostly agree with Rich. I was not quite as, as taken with the last kill in this directing oh, a, I, I said quite the opposite. I thought the last kill was great. No, I'm, I'm aware. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm disagreeing with you, Rich. I'm sorry. I don't understand, Vic. <laughs> Rich, you son of a bitch. Oh. How does it feel, Rich? I've been getting that for three years. <laughs> John, you've been getting I've, that for 20 years. That's true, actually. <laughs> I love this kill, and I love Cronenberg's rabbit. I also have an armpit fetish that I should probably mention. The armpit is such a vulnerable place, and a spear goes into an armpit. It, you feel it, you know? Like, it, it, it's effective. I, I'm kind of more on Rich's side with this. But go ahead, Vic, finish up your, your scorecard. Got it. I mean, look, directing A, script A, acting B+. plus Again, I, it's, it's so What? Hard. How are you going to downgrade the acting? <laughs> I didn't think the kids were amazing. I thought the kids like all kind of seemed the same. Oh, the, the kids! The kids were good. The kids were solid. I, again, the the fable to to pull off the fable quality of this is really challenging. And I actually really like the headmistress and the the teacher, the old teacher that that looks like the most interesting man in the world. Um, <laughs> Dosakis man. 
Yeah. Jacinta's, I just found, I, I don't know, there's, it, there was just, it was not, it was not A plus quality action. It's a B plus, John. Settle down. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I read you. That, that was a quibble. But I mean, I'm just like, of all of these movies to like ding acting, I just th- think this would not be the one that I would, but okay. Yeah, go ahead. Look, it was no Roddy McDowell. Okay. <laughs> With the uh, bug eyes. But Roddy McDowell uh, was a little over the top, guys. Let's, let's be honest. It was brilliant, John. It was. It was I actually, I, I liked him in that movie. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, sure, he was over the top. The whole thing was over the top. Well, he was just kind of goofy. Like every time you cut over to him, he had just this sort of the the bug eyes thing going on. Like guys, you got the you got the bug eyes thing going on, Janine. Sorry, uh, and, Ghostbusters. That movie's, that movie's gone, guys. Okay. That movie's yeah. gone. Let's move on. All right. So for my other, uh, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Cuck fu. Cuck Yeah, I guess. Oh yeah. Ooh, yeah. 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 Th- this movie definitely made me worry about turning sixty someday. Let's put it that way. <laughs> like I said, the, the sexuality is a is a is a key component. I mean, again, this is a, this is a fable in the way that like the really super dark original Brim's fairy tales were, were fables. There's some, there's some dark stuff in here just from an emotional place that makes me worry about turning 60. Like that's the, they're the, those are the emotional components that really grab me even more than the horror. So, well, Rich was talking about shape of water positively. And I would say that this movie kicks its fucking ass. That's, that's my opinion. I just always wanted to say cuck foo and have it <laughs> recorded for posterity, and now it's done. So, Dude, that was awesome. That was a perfect. There we go. To complete the, the trivia, um, the old man in this movie was played by Federico Lupi. He is not the most interesting man in the world, um, but he's an extremely accomplished actor with an extensive filmography. He was an officer in Del Toro's Kronos and Pan's Labyrinth. I remember him in Kronos. I don't remember him in Pan's Labyrinth. He's a very charismatic actor, I would say. Well, speaking of interesting, it may not be the most interesting movie in the world, but it is pretty interesting, and it's our number 25 film in the tournament, David Kep's Stir of Echoes. Now, this, of course, stars Kevin Bacon, and like most of our movies, it was right around the turn of the century. It got some acclaim in 1999. Not considered a classic by any means, but I think I enjoyed rediscovering it for this exercise. It definitely grew on me. Basically, the premise is a blue-collar Chicago guy is hypnotized by his sister-in-law at a party, and suddenly he's receiving disturbing visions of what turns out to be the murder of a local girl, and he becomes obsessed with finding out what happened to her. It's a pretty strong story. I'll kick it off. What the fuck? I think it's an overall quality of a B. Again, my grades are are tough. It doesn't mean I don't like the movie. I'm not going to tell you why it sucks, because I gave it a B. I think it's a good movie. I think its uh, originality is also a B. There's certain elements that I think are fresh, and I'll, I'll mention them. But overall, a lot of the phenomena that happens, a lot of the the scares and, and so on, you know, they pretty much fall in line with what you'd expect from this kind of a film. Chill factor for me is a C. Don't find it particularly scary, but it's not without moments. He gets a vision of 
this woman's fingernails breaking as she's, uh, you know, fighting off someone fighting for her life. And that was, that was unsettling. And there's some images of ghosts and whatnot that are pretty effective. I'm going to give antagonist an F, um, not to give anything away narratively, but I definitely think this is one of the weakest films in the field in terms of the sort of mystique or the truth of the antagonists. Quality of kills is a C plus. There's something unsettling. There's a, uh, a suffocating kill in it. You know, there's, there's various moments that pack a punch. Directing is a B, script is a B, acting is an A. I really think this is a great cast, and they all pretty much top to bottom. The performances really elevate this material almost start to finish, and a couple of people really stand out in a great way. Levitation Foo is my choice for other, because I absolutely love this sort of hypnotic suggestion dream world that the movie creates with Ileana Douglas guiding Kevin Bacon as he floats towards this giant movie screen flashing subliminal messages. That is something that I'm always going to remember about the movie and as sort of dreamlike as it is. And not totally essential to the plot, though in a way it is. I just really like the realization of that concept in a, in a fresh way. It's such a small movie, it's practically an episode of a TV show. You could call it Lawn Hauntings. But I like it. The, the neighborhood in Chicago, the people, the sort of close encounters of the third kind, obsession that our protagonist is seized by the way he nearly allows it to ruin his life. It's low-key, yet somehow quietly very fucking intense. Because we like this guy, his wife, his kid, we get it. There's a sort of an I see dead people thing going on with the kid, but it works for me. However, I mean, the circumstances of the murder to be solved, and who does it, and how they come back into the story... All of that feels, like I alluded to earlier, sort of like an NBC one-hour drama, but I still find a lot to like about this movie, so that's where I stand. So I gave overall quality of this movie a B plus. Uh, John, I feel like you are very much along the lines of what I was thinking. It's kind of an unremarkable movie, and yet at the same time, it definitely has like a place in my heart. Like I still stand by the nomination of this movie into this. I know that we referenced uh, Tales from the Crypt often on, on this series, but this one certainly kind of fits the bill. Like It is a small, compact story. And a lot of it is about the interior of what's happening with this uh, with this protagonist. And to that end, it's it's effective. I actually give originality an A, despite the fact that it's it has a number of parts that are that are somewhat derivative. I really like the visions. Um, that's the thing that I, that I remembered about this movie long after is I enjoy the fiddly bit on the the guitar, like the thing where he's like trying to figure out the guitar line. The whole movie, he's haunted by these little bits and pieces that have something to do with the murder scene, but he's not quite sure what they are. And occasionally he has these near dream sequences that kind of predict elements of the movie that you have to piece together what they mean over time. All that stuff felt fresh to me, even though I could trace it back to another source. Chill Factor is a B plus. Some good visions, but there's some weird stuff. Like there's there's a dream sequence where someone shoots themselves and then like and then rubs like hot pink blood all over their face. And like it really kind of took me out of the moment. I don't feel like this movie was trying to scare you that hard, or they just weren't very adept with that kind of scare. Uh, I agree that the actual murder that it all leads back to is pretty lame. 
and the kills are kind of weird and fake, but like directing is like, is, is a B plus. I, for some reason, the hypnosis sequence, even though it's simple, it's Kevin Bacon traveling through an empty movie theater. It's very effective and feels very unique. A lot of the visuals are kind of like these, like Alice, I wrote down Alice in Chains, scary visuals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if anyone listening has seen a nineties, uh, a grunge video, then you've probably seen most of the, the scary effects in this. There's a lot of like quick cutting to, to blurry shots of people screaming when they want to scare you. That, that part's kind of, kind of lame. Um, but I actually gave script an A, like I thought it all like clicked together very well. The acting was an A. There's a line that I, I took down from my Aliana Douglas where she was describing his psychic ability as a flashlight that is in a tunnel but the light just comes and goes. And I thought it not only summed up what the character was going through really well, but was just an interesting way to think about the, the phenomenon that you were experiencing. Um, and sure, you could say that like that's probably like the, the same thing that's true of The Kid in The Shining or, or any movie about psychic people. But this was, a, like you said, it was a small movie about a small-time guy going through that experience. And my other was Block Party Foo, because <laughs> this neighborhood is really a character in this movie. They're always walking to a football game or having a fight in the middle of a massive block party. Like the whole, you know, blue collar quality of this town and the relationships between the neighbors and his friends and his landlord uh, all play an integral role in the bigger story here. And that made it really unique for me. Yeah, I love the neighborhood in Chicago and the sort of the community that forms and totally agree with you there. It feels... Like organic, not like just a screenwriter. Oh, where should I set this? You know, like, oh, well, I'll do a little research and that'll work. Like it felt like, I don't know if David Kep, you know, came from there or whatever, but it's, it, it, it's like, it's not exactly shameless on Showtime, but it, 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 it definitely is a strong representation of Chicago. I typically just don't think much of David Kep as a director or even particularly as a writer. I was just kind of going through his filmography and it's it's just sort of underwhelming with the trigger effect and the Ricky Gervais film goes town. It's just astonishing to me that having worked with Sam Raimi and Steven Spielberg and, and all these guys, I, there's something, with the exception of some of the visions in the hypnosis scene, there's something sort of just sort of bland about it. And I feel that way about almost everything. Even his writing, I kind of feel that way about. Overall quality, I give it a B. Originality, I give it a C. Fundamentally, I mean, that's we talked about the supernatural as providence. And, you know, I mean, John, you actually referenced uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind in talking about this. This feels like a guy who's seen a lot of movies trying to make this movie. It's generally well executed. I really like the acting, but it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just okay. I'm underwhelmed by it, by and large, especially because of what you guys were talking about, the resolution to the mystery and, and those sorts of things. I do agree that the 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 blue collar vibe to it really adds something and, and feels very believable and very real. And a lot of that again has to do with the acting chill factor is a B. I agree. Some of the visions are very scary antagonists see how, how it shakes out. Doesn't really land in a particularly meaningful way. The supernatural element of it is scary when it needs to be quality of the kills. Yeah. I mean, you know, see, it's, it's not that's not really what you're here for directing as i stated my opinions of david kep i give it a b minus script i give it a b acting i give it a b plus i think kevin bacon's amazing in this 
I think Catherine Irby is good, although I'm kind of distracted because, and I'm sorry for doing this to everyone, she's the eldest daughter in What About Bob? And it's weird that she's now, like, grown up. And I don't know why I have such a fixation on that, but that's something that I thought of as soon as I saw her in and, this. And yet, you know, Zach Galifianakis in Below doesn't give you a hard time at all. <laughs> <laughs> I I liked both of those performances, so I'll split yeah. No, she's, like I said, she's, she's good in this. I actually, weirdly, uh, I've been catching up on Veep. I'm really uh, appreciating Kevin Dunn as a, a great character actor. I think he's he's probably underrated, and I enjoyed his performance in this as well. I give it an A as my as my other, my judge's choice. I give it an A for its use of Paint It Black, which is a great song, even if it's if it's maybe unbelievable that, that Kevin Bacon's never heard it before. And uh, but and this is this is. Uh, just an interesting note, this is Richard Matheson's second appearance on this podcast alone. This is based on a Richard Matheson novel that is called A Stir of Echoes, which I think is actually a much better title for whatever reason. I, I can't articulate it. But why they took the A out and just called it Stir of Echoes, I don't know. So I give it, I give it an F for the title because they, they fucked up. Those Hollywood suits. God Those damn it. Sons of <laughs> bitches. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we could keep talking about this movie because I do believe it has its its real virtues, but I think it's time to vote. I'm going to vote for The Devil's Backbone. Vic, what's your vote? Fuck foo, baby. I'm going for Devil's Backbone. All right. Rich, for the sake of the record, which one were you going to vote for? Devil, definitely Devil's Backbone. Uh, Sturbeck was not without its charms. Um, sad to see it get hammered. See it ham- get hammered like this, but... You know, I'm not sure David Kep himself would disagree too strongly with our choice here. <laughs> I mean, Devil's Backbone is a hell of a movie. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's our show. Tune in next time for a tale of two sisters squaring off against Paranormal Activity Three, and below faces the changeling. We'll see you next time. For now, adios.